And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative, and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Saturday, February 3rd, and we are here giving you all sorts of interesting financial content. Sometimes we answer your questions directly. Sometimes we play some of my segments from CBS Mornings. And today and tomorrow, we have a real treat for you. I was a guest on Ask the Compound. And remember, the Compound, these are the the folks that we have partnered with, Mark and I have partnered with, to create a new YouTube show called Jill on Money, powered by the Compound. Well, one of their shows is called Ask the Compound, kind of like ours, but they have a somewhat of a visual component. And it is co-hosted by Ben Carlson. He's the Director of Institutional Asset Management at Ritholtz Wealth Management. He's also a CFA, so super duper smart dude. And Duncan Hill, who helps produce our Jill on Money Powered by the Compound because he's the creative director at Ritholtz Wealth Management. Anyway, they asked me to join them to help field some questions. We started with a question that was a really very common. We've been getting it more often. Question about helping parents navigate their finances. First up today, we got a question from Alex. How does one go about untangling a web of less than optimal financial decisions (laughs) made by parents? For instance, my parents have very little home equity due to HELOCs, uh, whole life insurance policies, concentrated stock portfolios in an old employer stock, and credit card debt. My parents are early in retirement, but frankly live off of Social Security. They have lots of assets, but also lots of debt. Their assets don't seem accessible to them. How can they unlock some of their assets to increase their freedom in retirement? Okay, so family and money is always a tricky topic, right? And my my initial thing would be here, but I will have them talk to a professional. But there's also this weird psychological thing going on here because it's a role reversal. And I'm feeling this now. I'm I'm in my early 40s. I have kids. I feel myself slowly transitioning to like the responsible one sometimes with my own parents because they're getting up there in age. So how do you think about this role reversal first before we even get into any of the financial stuff of the kid sort of taking care of the parents now? 
Yeah, this is a really common issue. And part of it has to do with generationally. If your family is not the kind of family that talked about money in an open and honest way, you can often discover these things when it's a bit too late. Now, it doesn't sound like it's too late. It really doesn't. I guess the first question would be, how do your parents feel about you getting involved in the process? I think that's step one, right? Because Ben, as I'm sure you've seen with a zillion different clients, there are some people who are like very willing. They want their kids involved. There are other people who are so private. So yes, I think never that's- Never talk about anything money related. Yeah. And so I think number one is, do they want you involved? Let's say they do want you involved. That's when I would say that it might be very helpful to get- a financial planner who's a fiduciary, to sit down and you be part of the meeting. You say, I'm just coming to be the note taker. Keep your mouth shut because you need your parents to hear this from this unbiased third party. Because maybe if they hear it from you, they're going to be like, he isn't, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't know. In terms of illiquid assets, you know, if they've got old whole life insurance policies that maybe have built up some cash value, maybe it's time to blow out of them or borrow against them. Maybe it's time to clean up some of that credit card debt. And maybe it's time to really put together a whole financial plan rather than a whole life policy. Ben, what do you think about that? Do you think that like people are willing to do that at, at an older age or not? I do like the idea of sitting down with a financial advisor and the, 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 child just saying, I, you know, cause they could give them the same exact advice and the parents wouldn't take it. Or if one part of the financial plan went wrong, they would blame them. So yes. I, that's why I think having that impartial third party is very important to talk to. And even if they don't go with a financial planner, just sitting through and getting everything in one place and, and having it all laid out, I think could be very helpful. So I think that makes sense to me. And then it just giving some options of, yeah, you can borrow against this. You can, uh, do a, uh, you know, reverse mortgage on your home, whatever it is to try to unlock some of that liquidity. That's like the detail stuff. That's the easy stuff. Mm -hmm. Probably it's the, yeah, actually having the conversation and figuring out like, okay, get all this stuff together, show that you've made some mistakes then try to fix it from there. That's the hard part. And, and if I may just say one other thing is if, if the financial picture looks murky, I would ask the question, gee, I wonder if his parents or her parents have done any estate planning. Because I think that when you nudge your parents, like, hey, do you have a will? Do you have a healthcare proxy? Do you have a power of attorney? That parents like, oh, yeah. And if you find out the answer is no, that process will also help you build out, like, what does that balance sheet of my parents look like? Because that's what happens in estate planning. Every single asset becomes accounted for. And if they don't have an estate plan, my gosh, that's like actually a higher priority than even the financial plan. Yes. And if they're in retirement and they haven't really thought through all this stuff, you know, don't make them feel bad about themselves. Try to make it about more like, what about the next generation? And what happens if something happens to one of you? And I think that's the stuff where you need to have, that's why you need the financial plan in case something does happen as you get up in age. Yeah. Be nice. Keep in mind, they didn't have John money or ask the compound <laughs> when they were young. You know? They weren't watching True. this. And also, there's no reason to point a finger. They are where they are. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, why would you buy such a thing? You're so stupid. Like, yeah, no one right. wants to hear that, right? Yeah, and, that's, and by that's the not way, helpful. That's not helpful. So, like, they are where they are. Let's take a step forward. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear whether, like, how it goes to say, like, maybe can yeah, It would be good to hear thing. a follow-up on yeah, this one. For I, sure. I agree. All right. Next question, Duncan. All right. Up next, we have a question from Mitch. You say the return since 2000 has the chance to end up as the worst multi-decade return in history. But if you started investing in 2000... Wouldn't that have been an absolute boon to your account? 
You always say be happy when stock prices fall so you can buy at lower prices. Stocks fell a lot from 2000 to 2010. So wouldn't that be a positive for long-term returns? I, I talked about this a few weeks ago. I wrote a blog post saying if you the, the worst time in history to be a long-term investor might have been 2000, the height of the dot-com bubble. We've had highest valuations we've ever seen. And I said my favorite stat is always the worst 30-year return of the past 100 years in the U.S. stock market is 8% a year. That's oh. the worst the worst 30-year return. So so I, I looking at it and I said, well, starting in 2000, you've got about 7% a year. So if even if we kind of track historical numbers, it's going to be hard to beat that 8%. And I said, that could be the worst time in history. And this person said, okay, but let's reverse it. You're not just an investor at that time. What if you're a saver? Mm. And so Nick Majuli has this cool dollar cost average calculator. So I, I put it in starting in January 2000, you put $500 a month in and you did pretty well on that. The, the return ends up being 10%, which is you know, almost 50% better than the 7% return you would have gotten just keeping your money static. So mm. as a saver, you do much better. So my idea here, Jill, is how do you get people behind the psychology of, you know, everyone thinks markets go up, my portfolio goes up, that's good, or markets go down, my portfolio goes down, that's bad. But if you're a net saver, you have to rethink the risk idea. And risk means different things to different people. Because if you're a saver, that means down markets are good for you. So how do you get young people to think that way? I mean, because it, it's it, a different, it's a different it, line of thinking. It's totally a different way of thinking. So it's like the inverse of this question around retirement. Right. And the funny thing is, it's like, I get nervous. Like you can have bad luck. Okay. Let's be clear. Like if you're the person who graduates college and we're in a deep recession, your earnings will be lower than your previous, than the previous generation cohort for like 10 years. It's going to be bad. It's bad. It's bad luck. Same thing can happen with retirement. But the flip side is, if you get your money to work, if you are forced to put money away, a 401k, a Roth IRA, some money every single month into a retirement account, it's essentially like that's your hedge. You know how we look, I'm an old options trader. So I always have been thinking of the world. It's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And my hedge against downside is to keep investing, is to put money to work. You know what's an amazing hedge? Saving more money. I bet, Ben, if we did an analysis of all of your clients, and I looked at all my old clients from 100 years ago, the ones who tended to be the most successful over the long term saved a lot of money. That's it. And they saved, and I don't mean like they made a million dollars, but that they saved a larger share of their income than maybe other people who had the exact same income. So when you're thinking like, should I go on this unbelievable trip to the Rockies and go mountain climbing? Should I do a slightly smaller version of that and be able to save like an extra $3,000 this year? You might say to yourself, $3,000, that's my hedge against something crappy happening this year. It's your hedge. You can be your own hedge. Saving is the most, and, and investing that money, not just having it sit in a bank, but that investing, that's going to do so much for you as you become a more seasoned investor and over time, for sure. So I just looked at, let's say you put $10,000 a year into the S&P 500 and let it ride for 20 years. The best times to be an investor were actually like the 30s and the 70s, two really crappy decades for investors, but two really good decades for savers. And I think as we, as we get more data, the 2000s are going to look like that as well, where the time you put in can be very helpful. The other thing on your your talk about good luck, bad luck is the retiree versus the young person thing. So the, the more you say, I always like to say the more you save as a young person and the higher savings rate, the less you have to replace in retirement. Mm -hmm. That's kind of another another hedge. It also gives you a margin of safety if you need to to spend that money. 
But the that's why you want that liquidity piece as a retired person, because if you have this nasty bear market or huge crash right when you retire, through no fault of your own, because it's just bad timing or bad luck, then you want that offset to be able to see you through those periods. I've never gotten so much pushback from clients uh, way back when, and even on the air, when I say the following, your emergency reserve fund should have, as a worker be, six to 12 months of your living expenses in a safe place. And if you're retired, it should be one to two years of your living expenses in a safe place. People hate that. They're like, that's so stupid. Why would you be in cash? I used to say that when we were getting paid 0% interest, because that is your insurance policy. You buy car insurance all the time. You say, oh, do you say, oh, I hope I get into a car accident so I can use my car insurance? No. You say, oh, thank God I had car insurance in case something bad happens. And you know what? That's your insurance policy. You can self-insure it to some extent. But again, if you are only willing to forego certain things today, and it does take discipline, but on the other hand, it's so much easier to find that discipline when you can automate it. Imagine how yes. hard it was when you had to have the money go into a bank account. You had to write a check to Fidelity, and then the money went into this. I mean, it was impossible for people. So it's way easier now. Okay, we'll have part two of this, this re-airing of Ask the Compound tomorrow. If you've got a financial question, of course, just go to our website, jillonmoney.com. Click the Contact Us button. Let us know if you want to come on the air and if you want to come on video to our YouTube show called Jill on Money, powered by the Compound. While you're on the website, don't forget, free weekly newsletter and my book is out in paperback, The Great Money Reset, Change Your Work, Change Your Wealth, Change Your Life. That's how we got the tag for this show. Anyway, check it out. We thank you very much. Lift someone up and do change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.